Welcome to New Thinking for a New World, a Tilburg Foundation podcast. I am Alan Stoga, your host. Each week, I bring you conversations with people who think differently about the great issues that are shaping our world. Geopolitics, disruptive tech, mass migration, the changing climate, culture wars, all of it is grist for our mill. I hope you enjoy listening. I also hope you will let me know what you think and that you join the conversation at telbergfoundation.org. And now for today's episode of New Thinking for a New World. Russia's most recent invasion of Ukraine is 21 months old. The conflict seems to have settled into a war of attrition. Ukraine's much-heralded summer offensive looks to have failed or at least stalled in spite of the bravery of Ukraine's troops and more support from the West than anyone would have anticipated just a little time ago. Yet today's stalemate feels like the Western Front in 1916 or maybe 1917. Lots of fighting, lots of death and destruction, but little movement. What comes next? Rinse and repeat? Negotiation? Some kind of dramatic escalation that changes the rhythm of this horrible war? Svetlana Mornets, a Ukrainian journalist who is now a staff writer at Britain's Spectator, recently published an absolutely brilliant article titled, Zelensky Must Be Honest About the State of the War. She ended her piece this way, quote, the real question is the extent of the sacrifice everyone is willing to make and what the most probable outcome will be if they choose not to pay that price anymore, unquote. Welcome, Svetlana, to New Thinking for a New World. Thank you for having me today. Let's start from the beginning, or rather, the beginning of today. What is the current state of the war from your perspective? Where are we? As the commander of Ukrainian forces said, Valery Zaluzny, he said that fighting has hit a stalemate. And with no beautiful breakthrough imminent without any big technological advantage. So we are we are right now in a situation when uh, everybody was so hyped up about Ukrainian counteroffensive, and it ended with Ukraine liberating just about ten miles. So Ukraine's allies start doubting whether there is a sense to keep supporting Ukraine and to send the aid, and also in Ukraine. Uh, among among people there, there is a bit of disappointment too. And we have uh, soldiers who are very tired, who have been fighting since February last year, and some were fighting since 2014. And they ask for reinforcements. And we have the government that is afraid to talk about the need of mass conscription. So we are in a kind of critical situation where both Ukrainians uh, and the West must decide where this war should go and how it should go and what we can do. Let's take several different approaches to everything you just said. One is that, as you said, the commander in chief called it a stalemate with no beautiful breakthrough imminent. President Zelensky immediately seemed to say, no, 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 that's not true. Is there, Zelensky, of course, has to try to keep a whole nation motivated and all of the Western interests motivated. But the point of your article was that every now and then there is time where you have to be honest with the situation and and look it straight in the face. 
How do you see President Zelensky's dilemma? The problem is uh, that Zelensky has that if he starts showing uh, like doubts whether Ukraine can win, then uh, both Russian propaganda and both and the West they can use it saying, okay, then the time ha- has come to talk. Taking into account the current situation on the battlefield, those talks won't end well for Ukraine. So he has to keep telling that the victory is possible. We just need more weapons. And Ukrainians just have to keep morale high. But on the other side, I think it was a mistake since the beginning, before the counteroffensive started, because everyone in in Ukrainian government from Zelensky downwards were talking that Ukraine is going to almost march up to Crimea. We are going to make a big breakthrough. Everything's going to be right. Even when Zelensky was giving his New Year's speech to Ukrainians, he said, this year will be the year of our victory. So the allies and everyone had super high expectations. And also after seeing Ukraine, Ukraine liberating uh, so much territories in 2022, uh, like Kharkiv region and Kherson, they believed that it is possible, but everyone relied more on, on the courage of Ukrainian soldiers rather than on supplying Ukraine everything it needs for actually making that breakthrough. And also they underestimated Russian forces and how they dug up uh, in the occupied territories. So I think the West idealized Ukrainian army too much and underestimated Russian one. So we ended up here right now. And That's why if Zelensky tells that, okay, uh, it is a stalemate, we can't make a breakthrough, then disappointment will be so big, then the countries that are already, there are some countries that are already asking where there is a sense of supporting Ukraine and maybe they should start talks with Russia. So I think more countries will be uh, doubting that and will be thinking, okay, maybe. There enough Ukrainians died, we need to make peace. But the problem is that for the rest of the world, there will be so-called peace as after Minsk agreements happened. Because uh, when Russia invaded 2014 and Ukraine was pushed to those negotiations and agreements, we had a ceasefire and Russian army stay, stayed like in Donbass. But the fighting actually never stopped. And the coffins kept coming to my hometown, for example. But for the rest of the world, the war was over. The conflict was over. There was peace. Everybody kept living. And Ukraine was still fighting. So there is a fear uh, that any negotiations that will result in any peace agreements right now, they will be the same. That Ukraine will keep fighting the war alone. We lose more territories, Russia will reinforce and come for more, but for the rest of the world, it will be already over and nobody is going to help us. Let's separate this into two slices, uh, the situation in Ukraine and the situation among the Western supporters, the Western allies of Ukraine. Your Spectator article make the point, which I think many will find surprising, that Ukraine has yet to impose mass conscription that there's been almost 20,000 draft dodgers, we'd call them in the West, people who have escaped, have been called, but have refused to answer the call. 
there's a Ukraine that's fighting and there's, it seems, and a Ukraine that's not fighting. As you've already said, hundreds of thousands of soldiers have been at this since last February, uh, but lots of others have not been. Is there war fatigue in, in Ukraine itself? Look, there is a conscription in Ukraine. In when as soon as uh, Russia invaded last year, Zelensky announced the conscription. But the problem is that it's not discussed. Uh, the need of it is not discussed uh, well on Ukrainian media or from Ukrainian authorities because it's very this very unpopular topic and it can harm their ratings. So they're like, yes. We have the conscription, but they don't talk that actually they need a lot of people right now. So we have the country that is split, that some people are thinking that 700,000 soldiers that were drafted so far, that they are enough to liberate all the territories Russia occupied. But the problem is that um, I was reading the estimates of the British in intelligence, and it says that those numbers that Ukraine has right now, they're enough to keep Russians where they are, because we have the uh, fighting line is 700 miles long. And the problem is right now, not just how to, where to find people to, to make the breakthrough, but about how to stop Russians and not to let them move forward, because Right now, for example, Ukraine is on the bridge of losing Avdiivka, a city in the Donetsk region, because Russians are trying to surround it and it's becoming the second Bakhmut. And soldiers uh, that I talked to and soldiers I talked to in the summer when I was in the front line, all of them talked that they are short-staffed, that they are tired, they need reinforcements. But... In the rest of Ukraine, in the rear, of course, people who have uh, soldiers, who have their relatives fighting, they know about what's going on. But the rest of the people watch TV and TV says the victory is going to happen this year, in three months, in some weeks. And they believe that. So I think Zelensky shouldn't be scared to talk about conscription, that it will start a political crisis whatsoever. I think that it will be even better for him. As you know, he records these video messages to, to the nation every night. It would be even better if he, in one of his video messages, he says, look, the things are like this. They are bad. And we need to harden the conscription because we need more people uh, in the army. But if Ukrainians are not willing to step up, then we have other options, like negotiations, and you know what's coming from those negotiations. Let's talk about the support from the rest of the world. Everyone is surprised that it was more enthusiastic, that NATO got its act together and provided a lot of support. Uh, but as you've already said, and as I think everyone acknowledges, it has not been enough. It's clearly not been enough to win. Uh, it's also not been too little to lose. So there is this, this stalemate. I have an awkward question. Do you think that not giving Ukraine enough military support to win is a deliberate strategy in the West? Mm, I don't know, to be honest. But sometimes 
I think that keeping Russia busy in Ukraine is advantages for the West and for the US. So while Russia, while Putin uh, spends his army in Ukraine, he's not going to give others problem problems. Sometimes I think about that, but the naive part of me just wishes to think that because of the bureaucracy and because of uh, because of the fear to cross the red line and end up in the direct confrontation with Russia, uh, then the Western leaders are stolen with the help. For example, like with the fighter jets that we had to pray for one and a half of a year and they will arrive like next summer, 20. And how are we supposed to make any breakthrough with 20 fighter jets? So, yeah. So it's possible. You can imagine that. Um, and I don't know either. It's a question because it's hard to look at the situation and think that declarations from the West, from Washington, from Brussels, from other places about we'll do all it takes. And I always ask myself, all it takes to do what? All it takes to win um, or all it takes to not lose? I want to add here one thing that um, when uh, Russia invaded in February last year and nobody was helping us in the first week or two, Ukrainians were happy for anything. Like Germany sent us 5,000 helmets and we were like, okay, thank you. We are going to beat Russians with those helmets, but thank you. <laughs> but for us, doesn't matter what per for with what purpose they help us. For, for us matters that we receive those weapons, you know. they Every country, they can follow their own interests, but the final result for us is that our soldiers not fighting Russians with their bare hand. Thanks for listening so far. I hope you're enjoying the conversation as much as I have. If you haven't already, please subscribe on the platform of your choice and rate us on Apple Podcast. Now back to today's discussion, sponsored by the Stavros Niarchus Foundation, SNF. So let's play it forward. Clearly, there's a lot of talk in the West about war fatigue on the Western side, who's not fighting the war, but that's what they call it. There is a slowdown in deliveries of weapons, either because inventories are running low or because they're being diverted, for example, to the Israelis in, in their current uh, situation in Gaza. How do you think about next year if the West doesn't accelerate its support, not just maintain it, but ex intensify its support? What happens? Ukrainians will keep fighting as long as there will be people left uh, willing to step up in the army. I think when the public mood, if the public mood changes, the, because right now 80% of Ukrainians don't want to any negotiations with Russia, they don't want to give up any lands to Russia, including Crimea. So I think... If that percentage doesn't change, then the fighting just will continue, will continue, continue. Just as uh, Zaluzny, um, when he wrote that piece for the economists saying about what Ukraine needs to win the war, he said that 
he uh, said all he mentioned all the tools Ukraine needs, but in the end he said that if he doesn't receive that, maybe soon there will be no people left in Ukraine to fight. But here, here in Ukraine, we just think about what are our alternatives, like giving to Russia the occupied lands that they have now, that they control now, and what happened to those people living in occupation. Will there be a tribunal for all the people Russian army murdered in Ukraine? You know, because right now it sounds like that some of the Western leaders who talk about negotiations, they want just to reward Russia for their aggression and there will be no responsibility. And how is it fair? Oh, fairness is one of those issues that doesn't often come up in international diplomacy. I'm afraid. Let me ask a different question. Uh, President Zelensky in normal times would be standing for re-election next year. From your point of view, do you think it's possible to have elections in Ukraine in 2024? And would it be a good thing or a bad thing to try to hold them? I think it will be totally a bad thing for Ukraine uh, because first the political competition, we don't have the political competition right now because like all the opposition and Zelensky's government, they're all working together. And if they start pursuing the votes, it's going to just tear the country apart. And also, I think that there is no one else right now to replace Zelensky. And the level of his popularity is still very high, like at 75%. So there is no sense to spend millions for holding the election for Zelensky to be elected again. And Sometimes I think that uh, some of the allies are pushing Ukraine to hold the elections because they hope someone will come that is will be more willing to negotiate with Russia more than Zelensky. But that's not going to happen again because of the current public mood in Ukraine. And also, if we try to hold the election, how we um, make possible for all the soldiers to give a vote? For 8 million Ukrainians, re- Ukrainian refugees who are abroad, how are they going to vote? What about the Russian missiles? We don't have enough air defenses to uh, keep safe the polling stations. And are the international observers are going to come to Ukraine knowing that it is at war and they can die at any moment? How many are, how many are going to come? Okay, they will come to Lviv, to Western Ukraine, but what about the rest of Ukraine? What about people living? in occupation, don't they deserve to vote? So I think, no, I'm sure that there is no need for elections right now. And the public mood is the same, that they don't want elections right now. Of course, um, Zelensky, he wants, he when he came, he promised that he will leave after one presidential term and everybody remembers that promise. And he said that uh, one thing, he said that when I come as a president, everybody's going to laugh at me because he was a comedian, no no experience in politics. But when I leave, everybody's going to cry, meaning how good he was. So I think he doesn't want to leave uh, 
Ukraine with another peace deal with Russia, with part of his territory occupied, live as a loser. He wants to live as a victor. And we hope that is what happens. Let me ask a question about the Ukrainians who have left Ukraine. Refugees, mostly still in Europe. Uh, How are they viewed from the point of view of people in Kiev, in in the country? Is there a split between those who left and those who stayed? Oh, it's a heavy question because a lot of people in Ukraine, they judge the refugees for living, saying that they're like not true patriots. Uh, Of course, they understand that, for example, women with children or people that lost uh, their homes because of the occupation or because of bombardment, they had to leave. They had nowhere to stay or they wanted to keep their people safe. But yes, there is, I notice a lot this public judgment. And I think because of that, uh, many refugees that they're right now abroad, they are a bit, mm, they are not scared to come back, but they don't feel good about coming back because they feel that they will be judged all the time because they were not in Ukraine while the war was happening. But I think it is manageable and also Many people do want to come back and like to rebuild the country, to get a job there. Just they want some assurance for the future. And I know some that decided not to come back because Russia as as a neighbor, unfortunately, is not going to disappear. And they expect that wars will be happening again and again and again. Clearly. President Zelensky and and many Ukrainians have asked Europe for membership in the EU, uh, membership in NATO. Can you imagine that those, if they happen, would be guarantees of a different future, of a future without war with Russia, and hence a new Ukraine at some point in the future? Of course, of course. I think. A new Ukraine started in 2014 when our ex-former president, who ran away to Russia, he refused to sign association agreement with the EU and the, pro- the protest started, the, the, the revolution happened. And it was the moment when Ukrainians decided to stay away from Russia, uh, from all the Russian uh, corruption and all the Soviet style making decisions and move to towards the Europe where like people have better life, but also there is much less corruption than in Ukraine right now, for example. And there is a perspective for something better there. And even right now, uh, while Ukraine has these negotiations about like choice, didn't start officially, but they talks about possibility of joining the EU. Already, Ukraine has to make some reforms for that to happen, and even for have for having a chance to be considered as a possible future member. So, by doing those reforms, even while fi- fighting a full scale war, Ukraine is already improving, and. Ukrainian population, they are very happy when EU gives tasks for Ukrainian government, but they have to change about 
at the judges, uh, about the government, about the laws, because these are all the improvements that will make the country better. And those are already underway. Yes, and they're already on the way. For example, uh, there were, I don't re remember precisely, sorry if I'm wrong, but there were like nine demands to start negotiations with Ukraine and seven were fulfilled. So for Zelensky, again, Zelensky is very motivated to do that because to be remembered as a person who brought Ukraine to the EU, it can be better only a victory in the war, but step by step. <laughs> Let me ask a last very unfair question. Next year, the United States is going to have its election. And it certainly looks from today's perspective that President Biden will be the Democratic candidate and Donald Trump, ex-President Trump, will be the Republican candidate. If you had the opportunity to moderate their debate, what would you ask them when it comes to Ukraine? It's such a difficult question, you know. I told you it was an unfair question. What the world will be if Russia will be allowed to win in Ukraine and gain territory as a reward for their horrible aggression and all the war crimes they did in Ukraine? I hope that question gets asked. We'll have to check back in a few months and see if the Americans are willing to actually confront the future in those terms. I want to add one thing. You asked me about EU and NATO, and I talked about the EU and didn't say about NATO. Of course, it is obvious Ukraine's, Ukraine wants to be a NATO member because it will give more security that Russia is not going to invade again. And this is one of the biggest issues for Ukraine right now, uh, even not thinking about how to end the war, is how to prevent the future war or the biggest bigger invasion. Because what if the next time Russia succeeds in capturing Kiev, then it, they've, 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 there will be no Ukraine state at all. So that's why they hope or we hope or for joining NATO or receiving some security guarantees. If Russia invades, then we receive like weapons, everything in the first week. But there is a big danger in that, as happened with the Budapest Memorandum, with the Minsk agreements, that any of those securities guarantees, security promises, they don't work when the actual invasion happens. That's why the only option is like NATO membership. But of course, while we have a war, it's not going to happen. And it can, it can take decades till Ukraine joins NATO. But maybe in the future, there will be another alliance where Ukraine will be in some Euro European countries, for example, like Poland and Baltic states. But we will see. Thank you for this conversation. And thank you for finding an optimistic note on which to end it. Uh, we we need new structures. We need new organizations. And maybe that's what happens. Maybe that's the way out. We'll see. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Thinking for a New World. I'm Alan Stoga, podcast host, and I look forward to your joining our next conversation. Remember, tell us what you think at telbergfoundation.org.